Welcome to Women Worth Knowing, the new title for the podcast hosted by Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. Women Worth Knowing is not affiliated, associated, authorized, endorsed by, or in any way officially connected with the website Women You Should Know. Hello, Jasmine. Hello, Cheryl. We are here with another woman you should know. Mm-hmm. And this is one of my all-time favorites, probably yes. one of your all-time favorites. Yes, and she's one, I just almost feel bad that we didn't talk about her earlier because she's one of like those best-loved missionaries of all time, Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael. And don't you think that she's probably one of the best-known yes. missionaries? Yes. Uh, maybe because of her prolific writing? I think so. I think that's really what's made her really, I guess, stand out, you could say. Yeah. Yeah. You know how I got introduced to Amy? Hmm. Okay. When I was a little girl, I wanted blue eyes. My mom has these gorgeous blue eyes. Yeah. Gorgeous blue eyes. (laughs) And so I'd always say to my mom, why couldn't I get your blue eyes? Why did I get, you know, no offense, I love my father, but why did I get brown eyes? (laughs) And my brothers both have these amazing blue eyes. And my Mm. sister has these amazing kind of tiger golden eyes. Oh, Oh, they're gorgeous. And then I got just chocolate brown and I wanted (laughs) I wanted I wanted blue eyes so badly and my mom said I read a poem about that I know somebody else who wanted that and she brought me the story about when Amy Carmichael as a little girl used to pray for blue eyes and how she learned through that that God sometimes says no for our best yes for a greater reason than we realize I'm so glad you started with that because that just brings us right into her life and her childhood and so, yeah, Amy Carmichael, I realized that we haven't been giving you guys all of the like lifespans as we've been going along here. Sorry about that. So <laughs> she was born in 1867 and she was a young Irish lass. She was born into a well-to-do family in Northern Ireland. And like Cheryl said, she was one of the most well-known, well-loved uh, missionaries in history. And she really was a very loving person. But you wouldn't necessarily know that from her childhood. She was feisty, man. She was just a little stinker because she was the oldest and she was just like a little ringleader. She would get all the other kids in trouble all the time. One time there was a laburnum tree in the yard and they knew that they had poisonous seeds. Their parents said, don't eat from them. And so Amy did a challenge with her siblings and said, let's see how many we can eat before we die. And so they all just started. I know. Right. They just started chowing. I know. And so, and then they're all getting deathly ill. I mean, nobody died. Everybody just got really sick and they're just throwing up and stuff. But, but you know, she would just. <laughs> isn't this like amazing? Because again, when we get into Amy's story, she is so profoundly loving. Yes. She has all this incredible wisdom and she seems like she must have been born the Madonna. You know, like just born perfect. <laughs> totally. And you find that everyone has a past. Oh, yeah. You everyone. Know? I think I referenced Sound of Music before in a different podcast, but it just keeps coming up. If anybody's seen that, you remember how the children would torture their governess. That's what Amy did. She'd arrange with the kids to just find ways to just, if they had a governess they didn't like, they'd push her out basically by just torturing her. She would bring like animals to the dinner table. She brought a frozen mouse once and it came back and like revived during dinner and ran all over the place. One time somebody was, you know, one of her parents was chastening her for being so naughty. And she said, if you knew how naughty I could be, you wouldn't think I was naughty at all. She said, I have so much more potential that you don't even know about. So, yes, there were there were these tendencies in her to be mischievous. Okay, I've got to know, where did you get this? Now, I've read Frank (laughs) Houghton's book, 
And I've read oh, there's so many books on her. I know. Oh, I know so many. And I've read Elizabeth Elliot's A Chance to Die, which probably That's is the, the most classic, known. Yeah. Frank Houghton's was probably my favorite of all oh, I've read. Really? But I didn't okay. get the childhood. Oh, yes. Honestly, I don't even remember where I got this. My mom has also, she taught a class on missionary biographies at the Bible college, and she was the first person to actually think of that idea. And I think I got that one from her. I'm going to admit that was not an original. It came from something she you, read. You know, too, I mean, if people are going to read one of the biographies mm. of Amy, I would recommend Frank Houghton's. I've actually read, Good. I think, three or four. Frank Houghton, of all of them, he brings out the tenderness and the kindness of her, yes. which were We'll get to as soon as we get past yeah, the rascaliness. Yeah, after we get the naughty part. But yes. you're right, Cheryl. We need to talk about the naughty part. So yes. everybody realizes Amy Carmichael was not perfect. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you should start with this. Is today I was saying to Brian, I hope we're not putting the women under condemnation, telling them about these wondrous women. Oh, totally. And I hope that they realize that God takes us as we are mm. and he makes us into mm. what he wants us to be. And I was thinking, not all of us are called when I'm studying like about Amy, like going to India and what right. the conditions were. I mean, not only did she have thieves and mm-hmm. snakes, mm-hmm. which I absolutely hate, <laughs> and all these uh, malaria, all these yeah. other issues. She was constantly being threatened too. What I realized is that's not the call of my life. Mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. prepared me for the call to be here in Orange County, mm-hmm. you know, and to serve in this place at this time mm-hmm. in this way, yes. just like he prepared you for this place. Yes. And there are other people that are prepared, especially to be in that place. Mm-hmm. So I want to send that out so no one feels like, I'll never be totally. an Amy. I can't do that. Exactly. You know, my dad loves to tell the story about him and my mother were in New Guinea. And they were eating at these these two women missionaries' house. And as they were sitting there, he said this, like this huge, ugly bug, like <laughs> running across the table and then dropped onto the floor. And these women both got so excited. One gl- grabbed her uh, magnifying glass. The other grabbed a notebook and paper and was taking notes on all oh my goodness. Uh, the, the habits of this insect. And they got a camera. They took pictures of it. They were so excited. <laughs> They'd never seen it before. They loved bugs. Wow. These two women love bugs. And mom said, you know, I'm not called to New Guinea, but those women definitely are. are. That is hilarious. But that's, yep, case in point. Mm -hmm. Exactly. God always prepares you for what he calls you to do. That's right. You know, and that's such a great reminder. And I think we had even mentioned it on a previous podcast. You might be called to pray. Right. You know, pray here for those. There's people who are sick. There might be even people on this podcast who have chronic health issues who are listening to our podcast. Right, right, right. And, and you're like, well, how can I go do all those things? Hey, you pray and you are there with those people right. serving. You know, speaking of Amy, just moving up a little oh, yeah. bit, too, she had um, <laughs> chronic health problems, too. She did. And that's going to come in as well. So we do see in weakness that God is made strong. Right. It's not just these people had so many gifts and talents and abilities. Look at, remember Gladys Aylward, guys? I mean, she was very, considered very unqualified. Right. And yet the Lord qualified her. That's, right. the, that's the key. So. As we were talking about, you know, Amy did have a compassionate heart that began to come out as she got a little bit older. And when she was, oh gosh, I'm not sure even, probably like junior high age. uh, Remember, she was from a well-to-do family. And one time she and her family, they were in town and she saw a little girl looking into a shop window. And it was a girl in a little ragged thin dress. And she's just shivering in the cold and looking longingly into, I think it was a tea shop, looking at the cakes and sweets. And Amy went home. She was so just like touched by this little girl. She went home and she wrote a little poem. And the poem was, when I grow up and money have, I know what I will do. I'll build a great big lovely place for little girls like you. Mm. And I love that. Even as a little, what, 11, 12 year old, she had this heart. Like, I want to help 
little girls like that who are poor. And it's so neat because the Lord would do that, would mm-hmm. use her yes. on home, at home and abroad mm-hmm. in that capacity. So she gets saved. She fully commits her life to the Lord when she's 16. You know, like others we've talked about, and we're going to obviously continue to see, it was her understanding of the cross and what Jesus had done for her that just melted her heart and made her want to love as much as she saw Christ love her. And I think Cheryl has even mentioned that before. Like, it was the love of Christ that constrained her and really pushed her forward into all that she did. So uh, her family moves to Belfast. They were living in a smaller town, and then they moved to Belfast, uh, Northern Ireland. Her dad dies in 1885 when she's about 17, 18 years old. Very difficult period, but again, a a time where the Lord really drew near to her. And then she had another kind of moment. This might be one of those, you know, key turning point moments in her life. She and her family are walking home from church one day. And remember, they're well-to-do. They're very respectable. So they're walking home from church with all the respectable people. And a beggar woman passes them going the opposite way, and she's carrying a load. And it's obvious that this woman can't. You know, Mm -hmm. she's really struggling under the burden. And Amy just, you know, with that compassionate heart, feels prompted to go and help this lady. So she just starts helping her. And remember, they're walking the opposite way. So Amy starts walking with this woman back past all of the other respectable people. And she sees them whispering, what is Amy doing? That is so not cool. Well, they didn't say not cool. Yes. (laughs) So improper. How could she do that? She's upper class. She shouldn't be associating with these women. I mean, and this is the irony is that these are all Christian people. Mm-hmm. having these thoughts and she can see it on their faces, hear them talking and she's ashamed. And suddenly she said, and I want to just read this because this is this was a key moment in her life. And she said just as we passed by a fountain, this mighty phrase was flashed through the gray drizzle. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. That's 1 Corinthians 3:12. The scripture just comes clear to her. And she says, I said nothing to anyone, but I knew something had happened that changed life's values and nothing could ever matter again, but things that were eternal. So this is a big moment in her life to realize, you know what? I don't care what people think. I want to live for eternal things that matter in the sight of God. I don't want to live for superficial things in my image. I want to live for Jesus fully. And so she becomes more and more surrendered at that point. From here, she goes to Keswick. Yes, but even before that, she starts a ministry to the Shalies. Yes, and then that happens. Exactly. Okay, so so first Keswick and then the Shalies? Well, she went to her first Keswick convention and then, yeah, but she wasn't like super involved till later. Yes, you're right. Yeah, that's true, actually. So she starts doing, uh, first she starts doing this like vacation Bible school, basically, with the kids in the neighborhood called the Morning Watch. And then from there, she starts working at Belfast City Mission with the Shalies. And the Shalies... This is kind of similar to what Lilius Trotter right. was doing. Well, the Shalies couldn't afford coats. Yes, they couldn't afford coats so and hats. So they wore the proper... shawls, right? So they wore shawls around their head to keep mm-hmm. warm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hence they were called, they were usually the factory girls. Yes, the Because this is girls the again. time of the Industrial Revolution. Yes. And so they were called Shalies because mm-hmm. they were so poor and they had to go to work every day and from the elements because Northern Ireland is Old. Oh, yeah. It has a brutal oh, yeah. winter. Oh, yeah. And so they would wrap themselves in these shawls. Oh, yes. And it was, yeah. So, I mean, you know, she just had such a compassion for these girls. Right. Very similar to Lilius Trotter right. in London with the YWCA, this heart right. for those poor, you know, factory workers. So she starts this ministry with them. And eventually, I mean, it's a kind of a faith ministry. They're just praying. Her and a few friends, they begin to um, see the Lord provide and build to the point where they had activities and Bible studies, uh, you know, and practical outreach to these women six days a week. Almost every day they're doing things for these women. They end up building a structure 
that they called the Tin Tabernacle, but Amy called it the Welcome. That kind of redeemed it a little bit. And over the, I don't know, in the sanctuary, I guess you'd say, um, over the back wall, she put the uh, scripture that in all things he might have the preeminence. And that's how she really wanted this ministry to work, that all glory would go to God, that he would provide, he would lead. And those were things that God was working in her and I think using to prepare her for future ministry. And it was kind of a fulfillment of that poem that she had written. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to start helping girls that are struggling. and Yeah, it's kind of the near and then there will be another fulfillment. Yes. So she goes to Keswick and that's Mm -hmm. where she first like just feels the prompting, so to speak. Yes. To go on the mission field. Yes. Yeah. She meets the first chairman of Keswick. His name was Robert Wilson. He just kind of takes Amy and her siblings under his wing and he becomes like a father figure the to them. Dear old the man. dear old man, D-O-M. Yes. So she'll call him in her books and in her correspondence, she refers to him as the D-O-M. Yes. The dear old man. And uh, interestingly enough, during this time, she goes to school in Harrogate. Oh, I didn't realize it was in Harrogate. I forgot it was about in that. Harrogate. Interesting. Yes. And the dear old man is providing for her mm. the means, the tuition to go to this college to prepare for the mission field. Mm, yep. So, yep. I mean, for more of that, you're going to have to read the books. But oh, I, yeah. But definitely. when you go to Harrogate, if you know Christians, they will point out the college that she went really? to. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so neat. Yes. I happen to know Teresa. And oh, Teresa, yes. Teresa would know. Yes. Teresa loves to point out, like, Carmichael was here. That's her invitation to always come to Her- Harrogate. Oh, that's so fun. Yes. I love that. And you know what? My sister went to Belfast uh, maybe two years ago, and she sent me all these pictures because they went to the welcome. It's still there and wow. running as a ministry. I was in Belfast. I didn't even know it. I oh, my gone. gosh. Yeah, yeah well, I know. You didn't, have the, you didn't go with the right people. Maybe oh, Teresa would have been there. If only I could have a do-over. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, yes. <laughs> that's a nice tie in there. <laughs> so so, so she, she's there. Yes, and, and then, yes, and through, exactly, through Keswick, through the dear old man, she is prepared and uh, ready to go on the mission field. And so in 1892. But where does she, she think she's going to go? Okay, we think <laughs> she's going to India, but no, ladies and gentlemen, whoever's listening to this, she goes to Japan. That's right. Surprise. So And in Japan, she gets so deathly ill. And yeah. so then they think that she's not fit for the mission field. Yeah. And she even wonders. Is this God's will for me? Yeah. She suffers from neuralgia. In fact, there was, you know, there's one little story about that really quickly that was kind of another like aha moment in her life and in her inner ministry because of that, because of the neuralgia that she was suffering, painful nerve disease, especially brought out in the cold. And so in Japanese winter, it was just that was when it really got to her. And she would go out and try to evangelize, you know, as she was learning Japanese, she would go out on these evangelism trips with her interpreter, Misaki-san. And Misaki-san really tried to encourage Amy to wear a kimono because, you know, to just blend in with the people. But Amy's like, no, I can't because of my neuralgia. I have to stay warm all the time. And one time they were talking with this elderly Japanese woman and sharing the gospel with her. And the woman was there. She was like, you know, ripe for the gospel and really open. And the point where Amy thought, oh, I can invite her to receive the Lord. Suddenly the woman noticed Amy's fur gloves. And she got so distracted by what Amy was wearing that Amy was never able to circle back to present the gospel to her. Wow. The woman just got completely distracted. And so from that, Amy felt like the Lord showed her, yes, you can be practical and take care of yourself. But Amy, there's certain moments where you don't want to risk so much for so little. Now, did she go from Japan back to England and then to India? Yeah. So the neuralgia did, you know, there were these moments of, mm-hmm. of growth in her, but mm-hmm. eventually it became clear that that wasn't the place for her. So she goes back home. She ends up briefly there and then off to India a couple years. This is actually, she was at home for over a year. And then in 1895, 
she goes to India because a friend told her, hey, Amy, you might be able to handle that climate better. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she moves to India. She lives with the Walker family. And they force Amy to learn the language before she can out go out and start evangelizing because mm -hmm. she was a little go-getter and she was always trying to get out. And she just loved the people. She loved kids. I want to serve. I want to minister. And kind of slowed her down. You need right. to learn first. And, and then. And this was about the time she started to take on dressing. Yes. Now here she was able to start dressing like the people a little easier. This was easier on her neuralgia. But, but let's say this too, because. This type of dressing, like the people that you minister to, mm. was very different. Yes. I mean, maybe in Japan they'd asked her to, but Hudson Taylor at the same time is in yep. China. And what he did was so novel to dress like the people. And it's kind of an incarnation. Somebody called yes. it incarnational ministry. Yes. Where you go and you become one like the people. Yes. And this is where Amy began to realize that her brown eyes were an advantage to ministry. Oh, that's going to, yes. India. Yes. She begins to blend better and even more so in a little. So, so much. Yes. So she is exactly like Cheryl said. She's becoming incarnational and recognizing as I adopt the dress and as I learn the language, she realized the wisdom of the walkers. Instead of mm -hmm. letting her just run out there gung ho, you know, get to be where Amy, you know, be part of the culture, get to know these people and absorb, learn the language. Then you can really connect. And she began to develop a little evangelistic ministry. Kids in particular were really drawn to Amy. In fact, a lot of parents <laughs> thought, is that woman giving our kids drugs? Why do they love her so much? And of course, we know that's not what it was. It was the love of Jesus drawing the kids. And the parents soon came to realize that there was something unique about her. So in 1898, a couple years in, Amy encounters for the first time Hindu temple prostitute, a very tough woman. And she, Amy, you know, Amy's thinking, well, I'll just love her to the Lord. This woman would not, you know, she was resistant. But it gave Amy such a heart for these temple prostitutes. Like, what brings these people to this point? And how does this happen? So she starts praying for the temple prostitutes. A year later, and I love how God does this. He will answer those prayers, but sometimes not in the way we expect. A year later, a little seven-year-old girl comes running to Amy's door. And her name is Prina. And Prina is running away from the temple. She's running away from uh, the temple prostitutes and the priests and, and, and people there because they're trying to train her into service. And she's horrified. But she and, and let's talk about this, too. Yeah, that, yeah. that temple service for a little girl is prostitution. Mm -hmm. And they would be as young as two. Ugh. And these men coming in feel like they're doing a spiritual act yes. by molesting and mm -hmm. um, having sex with these young, young little girls. So sad. Mm -hmm. oh, and sometimes boys. Yeah. If a family wasn't able to afford their son, they felt like, oh, we'll give him to the gods. Mm -hmm. And they gave him to the temple. And, and th those boys were also used for prostitution. I mean, these these children had no life. No. And especially yep. if you were of the lowest caste system, mm -hmm. this is your parents would do this. And one, yeah. it was financially advantageous. Yes. It was religiously advantageous for the parents. Mm -hmm. But for the child, it was doomed. Just horrific. It, yeah. I know. In fact, very few lived beyond, what was it, 14, 13 or 14 oh, years old. Very few lived. Yeah. Not surprising. Mm -hmm. it, it's just, oh, it was so heartbreaking, obviously. And so, you know, the Lord brings Prina into Amy's life. And Prina came to Amy because she had developed that reputation among the kids in the community. And she had heard that there was this really nice lady who loved kids. So she comes and finds Amy and Amy, you know, the temple prostitutes come after her. Amy is just like, okay, I'll, I'll pay for this. You know, I'll pay for this little girl. Just go away. And so, they, you know, they wanted all they wanted was money. They left her alone. 
But through Prina, Amy began to discover how all of this process went on. Like you were saying, the, the process of getting these children when they were like two years old, when they were babies and getting basically donated to the temple. She starts to learn about this process and she just realizes this needs to be exposed. Nobody's talking about this. We're not doing anything about this. And so this is where, again, we've seen how the, the brown eyes helped her to blend in a little bit in India. This is where they really came into play because what Amy would do was she realized she wasn't going to get any straight answers from the government officials. She wasn't going to get any straight answers from the temple priests. So she became spy. Know, a spy. Yeah. She would dye her face and hands with coffee grounds. And because she had brown eyes instead of blue eyes, she blended right in with the people. And she was able to go kind of into the underground network. She actually called herself Allison Underland because she was going into the dregs of society to find out what was going on. She was able to witness for herself what was happening in the temples. It was a really eye opening. Yes. I, oh, my goodness. So much. So. And she also gathered data that she was, she was able. Data. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that was huge because, again, a lot of people didn't believe no, her. They tried to denial. cover it up. Mm-hmm. And other missionaries were like, oh, Amy, we just don't want to bother with mm-hmm. all of that. And it it broke her heart. I actually want to read this quote from her because she felt so alone in this call to try to bring change and to try to expose this horror. And she said, sometimes it was as if I saw the Lord Jesus Christ kneeling alone as he knelt long ago under the olive trees. And the only thing that one who cared could do was to go softly and kneel down beside him so that he would not be alone in his sorrow over the little children. She just felt like, you know, this is something the Lord has shown me and put on my heart because he has a heart for these kids. Mm -hmm. And knowing he was with her in it made all the difference and empowered her to actually step forward. And it's funny that you mentioned the data that she collected because after three years, she was actually able to you know, compile all of that and, and, and write a book. It was called Things As They Are and published back home in England. Was that her first book too? Ooh, that's a great question. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that probably, was her first book probably. that she wrote, which is kind of the ones where she learned to write. But then she's going to write a story on Prina. Yes, that's right. I haven't read that one. Oh. Have you? Yes. Okay. Do you want to mention it now? Might as well. No, um, that's okay. But, you know, I because we don't have time to talk about all the books she wrote yes. and all the stories. We're going to, let's get straight to how she started okay. that. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to, yeah, you'll be able to, and we're going to make these resources available online. Yes. So you can go and read these books for yourself because we are just scratching the surface. So, you and know, I she, wanted to do a two part and Jasmine said a one part. So I'm rushing her a little sorry, bit. Sorry. I know this is kind of my own fault. <laughs> From Prina, she is able to kind of begin launching a ministry to rescue these kids. From Prina, more and more uh, little kids begin to get rescued. People here. In fact, parents were bringing her. They started bringing. Some parents brought her their children, their girls, especially their girls, because it all starts with the girls. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Pastors are rescuing kids. Mm -hmm. Like the parents will say, please deliver Mm -hmm. this child to safety. So people are beginning to bring Amy all these babies. And so she moves to the town of Donavore. And she starts the Donavore Fellowship to rescue temple children starting in 1904. So about a year after she wrote that book, she launches this ministry. And then in 1918, several years down the road, then they start to take in boys. She actually wrote some of the most exciting missionary letters back. Yes. And her missionary letters that she was very faithful in Mm -hmm. writing missionary letters to let the people who were praying 
yes. back in, in England and in Belfast know what was going on so they could pray. So she had a whole army. In one of her books, she talks about the army of prayer warriors mm. that stood with her, even though that they couldn't go, but they were all praying. And what a difference that made. Love it. Love it. Again, as we were saying earlier at the beginning of the podcast, remember that there is such a power in prayer. And that's so that's important. Right. If you're not called to the mission field necessarily, you're still partnering when you that's pray. That's right. That's and right. Amy really needed that. And I think, you know, you see a lot of, if you read her books, guys, you'll see a lot of the fruit of those prayers. The Lord provided miraculously for them all the time. Food. They, food. They would get anonymous donations for exactly the amount they needed to construct. I remember at one point they were building a facility for the boys. When they started taking in boys, they needed something. The Lord provided miraculously a check for just the amount they needed. They were seeing all of these answers to prayer. Also, the Lord protected Amy and the ministry from a lot of kidnapping charges. People, you know, because obviously she got a lot of this. I mean, so many like, mm -hmm. yeah, these lawsuits and things. At one point they were getting ready to arrest her and she was about to get sent to prison. And all of a sudden a telegram came and it said criminal charges dismissed. No explanation at all. The case was just dropped. And, and, and ha- you know, these so many of these things, it's like, okay, that has to be the Lord. There's no other explanation. There, there, there's so much to Amy, though, because also mm. there's a story. If you read the book, you'll find out that <laughs> she befriended a criminal. In fact, he was like the most notorious bandit in India. Yes, and she befriended him and shared the gospel with him. And he actually ended up protecting her. Mm. And I mean, it's exciting. You just have to read the book because we don't have time to go into all this. But she started these two these orphanages for girls, for boys. And one of the things I loved is that she set up a garden and in the garden, she put little scriptures and she wanted the children to go out and find time alone with Jesus and to pray. We'd love to tell you more, but we're going to get straight to her accident. Mm -hmm. Yep. She is. And it's a trap. It's a trap. So yes, go ahead and lead up. to Okay. So she's, she's asked to come and maybe rescue this little girl. So she mm. goes out to this place and, you know, supposedly uh, the little girl is in uh, what would be a, kind of like an outhouse. And so Amy goes into this thing only to find it's a cesspool and she falls into it and she breaks. I can't remember what she broke. Her, her, her leg, her, her leg? hip, her leg, somewhere in that region. Right. Yeah. And so from that point on, she is infirmed. Yes. I mean, she is, she can't walk her back. She she also hurts her back mm-hmm. and she's bedridden. Mm-hmm. But from her bed, she's still watching over Donovor mm-hmm. and the other. I have to tell one story about you. Do it, do it. It's one of my favorite stories. Oh, I've got two stories. Okay, two <laughs> stories. One, I remember these missionaries came and they were making all these demands on her. Mm-hmm. And she was like, what are you doing? I'm, you know, I'm doing this orphanage. I'm taking care of children. I'm working so hard. And they're coming in, they're demanding the best beds, rooms, all these things, which are make it a hardship on her. And so she's really upset. And the Lord said to her, I took a towel and takes her right to John 13. And all through Amy's mm. life, you find that everything correlates with a Bible story. Yes. She is so, how do I say this, involved with the story of Jesus. She knows the story of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And she relates the story of Jesus over and over again mm. to her own, um, her own life. Yes. Another time a little girl is brought in and this little girl's been very naughty. Probably did something that Amy did when she was young. Yep. <laughs> and the little girl is trembling. She knows she deserves to, you know, be punished. And they used to punish with a it was like a hickory a stick. Yeah, okay, yeah. A cane. And so the little girls so you would put out your hand and they would slap the hands. And Amy, the little girl's hands are out, and Amy puts out her own hand and takes the, the stick and begins to beat her own hand and says I did this because this is what Jesus has done for both of us Mm. and explains the gospel to that little girl. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Looking at everything through. Yeah, I love that. And and I think we've seen that before. It's just such a cool thing where you see that common thread 
with all of these missionaries that they really see, like you said, the incarnational love of Jesus and want to make that tangible to the people that they're ministering to. And so, yeah, Amy's continued to serve uh, for about 20 years, even as an invalid. And this is when she did a lot of her writing, which has become so uh, significant and and has blessed countless thousands beyond her life in ministry. One of my favorite books is A Rose from Briar. I had that in my notes. That's blessed me as well. One that she wrote in chronic suffering. And that ministers to me because I was engaged to a man suffering from chronic illness. And the Lord really opened my eyes to a lot of the challenges with that. Well, I was brain hand. Um chronic fatigue for years. Yes. And the Lord used that book for me too, because it was like, she talked about the uh, butterfly that preaches contentment to the toad. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I think I've been a butterfly. You yes. know, and the toad has to go on the hard, hot mm. ground and is miserable. The butterfly is just like, why can't you be happy? It's such a nice day. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> yes. So many illustrations like that. I mean, she just really brings those principles to life. Those, you know, like you were saying, brings the truths of the gospel and Jesus love and uh, reality to life. And so, yeah, we love Amy Carmichael. We do. We oh, hope we goodness. wet your appetite. We might Please come on another day and revisit yeah, maybe her. maybe we should do a little more, huh? Yes, I told you it should be a two-parter. You were probably right. Yeah. Yes. So we might come back in a, in a couple of podcasts and revisit Amy Carmichael, <laughs> just telling stories. Yes, I like that. Let's that would that. be That would be so good. So we want to thank you for joining us on this podcast. Again, if you know somebody you think should be a woman that we should know, Mm -hmm. please write us because we want to know that woman too. So until next time, God bless you. God bless. Thank you for listening to Women You Should Know with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter or Facebook. If you have a woman we should know about, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WYSK at CCCM.com. Make sure you've subscribed to this podcast available now on any streaming service. Thank you again for listening to Women You Should Know with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut.